The following message was recorded at Shades Valley Community Church in Homewood, Alabama. For more information and resources from Shades Valley, please visit us at shadesvalley.org. The scripture for today is Revelation 22, 6 through 21. And he said to me, These words are trustworthy and true. And the Lord The God of the spirits of the prophets has sent his angel to show his servants what must soon take place. And behold, I am coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things. And when I heard and saw them, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who showed them to me. But he said to me, You must not do that. I'm a fellow servant with you and your brothers, the prophets, and with those who keep the words of this book. Worship God. And he said to me, Do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book, for the time is near. Let the evildoer still do evil, and the filthy still be filthy, and the righteous still do right and the holy still be holy. Behold, I'm coming soon, bringing my recompense with me to repay each one for what he's done. I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right to the tree of life and that they may enter the city by the gates. Outside are the dogs and sorcerers and the sexually immoral and murderers and idolaters and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright morning star. The spirit and the bride say, come. And let the one who hears say, come. And let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires take the water of life without price. I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book, if anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God will take away his share in the tree of life and in the holy city which are described in this book. He who testifies to these things says, Surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with all. Amen. The word of the Lord. Sunday of peace. It's a little bit ironic because eight months ago in the first sermon of this series, I confessed to you that growing up, Revelation had brought me personally anything but peace. It was a book that actually caused a lot of fear in my life. I found it to be confusing and irrelevant, and thus it ultimately left me feeling defeated. And that's ironic because in the first week we were in this book, we saw this book is meant to do the exact opposite of all of that. This book is meant to fill us with courage, not fear. To bring clarity, not not confusion. This book is 
relevant because it comforts and challenges us in every single area of our lives, ultimately not leaving us defeated, but equipping us to conquer. Revelation chapter 1 declared that this book would do all of that by giving us all the grace and peace we need to face this life because this book gives us Jesus Christ. This is, from its opening words, declared to be the revelation of Jesus Christ. He is our grace and peace. Shades, peace doesn't just shine brightly from the fourth candle of the Advent wreath. It also shines brightly from the pages of Revelation. Do we live in its light? Do we live empowered? That's what this entire book has been aiming to do. Empower us to live. Do we live empowered by the peace of Christ? Or do we live overwhelmed by a peaceless world? A peaceless world like we just sang about in my favorite Christmas song, I Heard the Bells. You heard these words. Then in despair I bowed my head. There is no peace on earth, I said, for hate is strong and mocks the song of peace on earth, goodwill to men. Do you feel that? Like when you look around this world, does it feel peaceless, hopeless, joyless, loveless? In the midst of a pandemic, doesn't that make us doesn't it seem to mock hope? Hate covers our world online and in our streets. Does that not seem to mock love? We struggle with depression and anxiety and isolation more than any generation that we know of in our history. Does that not seem to mock joy we live in some of the most polarized politically divided times we we know of does that not seem to mock peace hate is strong and mocks the song of peace on earth and goodwill to men and to that overwhelming despair revelation responds with empowering peace Revelation responds with, then pealed the bells more loud and deep. God is not dead, nor does he sleep. The wrong shall fail. That day's coming. That's Revelation's response. The wrong shall fail. The right prevail. With peace on earth, goodwill to men. The revelation responds with the advent. Christ will come. Our hopes will be fulfilled. Perfect love shall reign, joy, supremely satisfied. Peace will prevail. The peace that Christ inaugurated with his first advent through his birth, his life, his death, and his resurrection, that peace will come to consummation in his second advent. And that is what empowers us to live life between his advents. The peace that he inaugurated with his first advent will come to consummation in his second. That empowers us to live between his advents with a peace that passes all understanding. A peace that provides courage, clarity, comfort, challenge. A peace that empowers us to conquer. That, Shades, that is the peace that we have seen shining forth from the pages of Revelation. And we are called to live in its light. We are called... To live in the light of the coming advent of Christ. How? Revelation has been answering that for us over and over again, all throughout it, and it's going to answer it for us one more time this morning in Revelation chapter 22. This is the epilogue, and it brings together, ties together, summarizes all that we have seen thus far. It shows us one more time how to live in light 
of the advent of Christ. Let's see it together. Shades, we need to see this. Let's see it together, beginning in verse 6. And he, it's the angel who's been talking with John, leading him through these last visions here. And he said to me, said to John, these words are trustworthy and true. And the Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, has sent his angel to show his servants what must soon take place. And behold, now Jesus speaks, and behold, I am coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps, keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. The advent calls us to live in its light. How? Revelation 22 gives us a fourfold answer. Right here we see number one, by keeping the word. The Advent calls us to live in its light by keeping the word. Christ says, behold, I am coming soon. Like you want to live in light of that? You want to live in light of my Advent? Here's how. He says, blessed is the one who keeps, keeps the words of this book. Revelation began with this call. Like these verses that we just read right here in Revelation 22, they're actually just an echo of the first three verses of the book. In fact, the entire epilogue of Revelation 22 parallels in crazy ways the prologue of Revelation chapter 1. And both the prologue and the epilogue begin by calling us to keep the word. Why? Because of whose word it is and what it's about calls us to keep this word because of whose word it is. Verse 6 declares these words are trustworthy and true because they are the words of the trustworthy and true God. Shades, we don't keep these words because it's family tradition or because I was raised in this or because it's a comfort to me psychologically. We don't keep these words because they were penned by the Apostle John. We don't even keep them because they were given to him by an angel. We keep them because they came to John through an angel from the Lord God Almighty. We keep this word because of whose it is, shades, I believe that this is the word of God. Cover to cover, Genesis to Maps. keep it because of whose word it is it's god and we're called to keep this word because of what it is about verse six says that god has given us the word of revelation for a specific purpose in fact it's the same purpose that we were told back in revelation chapter one what purpose is that he's given us this word to show his servants us what must soon take place place i told you back in revelation chapter one that's daniel 2 28 language but revelation tweaks it just a bit if you go back to daniel 2 28 what you'll find is it's speaking of god revealing to his servants what will take place in the latter days in the last days revelation changes that to soon Because, as we have seen again and again, the last days are here. And I don't just mean in 2020. The last days we have seen that the entirety of the New Testament teaches began with Christ's first advent. And the last days will continue 
until they conclude with his second advent. The last days are the entirety of the church age. And Revelation's purpose has been to reveal how we, the church, are to live in these last days in light of the fact that Christ will come. Revelation calls us to live in light of the advent. Is that not the intent of the next words we hear in verse 7, the very words of Christ himself? When he declares, and behold, I am coming soon, live in light of this. Behold, I am coming. Jesus is going to say that three times throughout this closing passage. It's the echo, it's the heartbeat, it's the refrain, it's the course. He says it here, he says it in verse 12, behold, I am coming soon. And the third time in verse 20, surely I am coming soon. Is there any question Jesus is calling us to live in light of his coming? He emphasizes this call by the repeated use of the word soon. A word that can confuse us. Now, the Greek word for soon right here, it doesn't merely indicate a when, but also a how. In other words, the Greek word doesn't mean just soon with respect to time. It means suddenly, unexpectedly. Uh, We've seen Jesus describe his advent, his coming this way. Back in Revelation chapter 16, he said his coming was going to be like a thief. Suddenly, unexpectedly, that's how he will come. So he tells us to live ready, live in light of his coming. But the Greek word for soon here, it doesn't just tell us about how Jesus is coming suddenly, unexpectedly. It does also indicate something about when he's coming. Jesus says, soon. Well, that puts me, a preacher, in an awkward position. I don't know if anybody knows, it's been like 2,000 years. Does that seem like soon to you? 2 Peter 3.4 even says that in the last days of the church age, many will scoff, saying, where is the promise of his coming? He said, Soon. Doesn't seem to be true. You know, today, uh, this is the last week of Advent. No more weeks between now and Christmas. When my kids ask me, and they ask me every day, when Christmas is coming, do you know what I say? Soon. To them, that doesn't seem true. Levi bemoaned this to me yesterday. That's so far away. We're in the final stretch. Time seems to be different for an adult who's lived so much longer than a kid. I jokingly say that the difference of time for a kid and adult is when you're a kid, it's never Christmas. And when you're an adult, it's always Christmas. Time seems different for someone who's lived longer can you imagine the experience of time for the eternal christ in fact second peter 3 where i just read to you about people scoffing about the promise of christ coming it actually goes on to say this in verses 8 to 10 but do not overlook this one fact beloved that with the lord one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years is as one day the lord is not slow he's not slow to fulfill his promises some count slowness but is patient towards you not wishing that any should perish but that all should reach repentance in other words the delay has a purpose behind it the purpose is the fulfillment of the mission of the church the calling of all god's people to repentance home 
home to himself. The Lord's not slow about his promise. His psalm counts slowness. He's patient towards you, not wishing that it should perish, but all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. Suddenly, unexpectedly, soon. Because it's the next thing on God's calendar. Shades, there are no more weeks between now and Christmas. Just as much as this week concludes with Christmas, the church age will conclude with the coming of Christ. Christmas is the next thing on my calendar. The coming of Christ is the next thing on God's. And that is meant to fill you with courage, not fear. This book is not meant to fill you with fear, but with courage. Courage to keep the word. The Advent calls us to live in its light. How? By keeping the word. Do you remember the original hearers of Revelation? We tried to talk about them and bring them into focus all throughout this book because it applied first to them. Remember there were seven churches living in the Roman Empire in Asia Minor and they were experiencing all kinds of pressure and persecution to get them to live in line with any word except for the word of Christ. They were getting pressure from their Babylon-like culture to prostitute themselves to idolatry and immorality. They were getting pressure from false prophet priests to embrace false words, false gospels. They were threatened with persecution from the beastly Roman Empire itself if they did not embrace idolatry and immorality. And you remember Revelation revealed that behind all of that, the Babylon-like culture, the false prophets, the beastly empires, behind all of that lurked the church's ultimate enemy, the dragon himself, Satan. How in the world, how in the world was the first century church going to have courage to keep the word? It's how are we going to have courage to keep this word? Because we still live, I don't know if you noticed, but we still live in a Babylon-like culture filled to the brim with false prophets who have access to us through our pockets. We live in a Babylon-like culture filled with false prophets and beastly powers, shades. We will keep this word. How are we going to do that? We will keep this word because Revelation has provided the necessary courage to do so through this word. It's been the point Revelation has revealed to us true reality in order to provide courage for us. No matter what things look like in the midst of our peaceless world, Revelation has been on a mission to reveal to us true reality from God's perspective that we need not fear the dragon, for it is a lamb who is on the throne. We, We need not fear the enemy, for he is conquered our lamb on the throne is sovereign and he has sealed us so that we will conquer as he did even if we are killed we will conquer just like him he is the lamb that was slain killed yet he stands conquered he conquered all even even death and he is coming shades to bring that conquering to completion if that does not provide us with courage to keep his word i don't know what will He's conquered everything, including death. And he'll bring that conquering to completion shades that's meant to provide you courage. The revelation, the advent kills our fear, fills us with courage to live in its light by keeping the word. Keeping being the quintessential word there. Keeping the word. In other words, 
not merely reading or studying or memorizing or discussing, keeping. Imagine me telling my son Levi to go do the yard work. And later I ask him, did you do the yard work? And he says, you know, I heard what you said. In fact, I studied it. I even memorized it. You said, do the yard work. And I want you to know, I have organized a group of my close friends to come over to my house and we're going to sit around and discuss what it would look like for us to actually live this out, like in our lives. I mean, like, like, like the whole thing sounds ridiculous to us, right? Just keep the word. This is what revelation empowers us to do. Heals our fear. Fills us with courage in order that we keep the word. The Advent calls us to live in its light by keeping the word. Number two, the Advent calls us to live in its light. How? By clinging to Christ. By clinging to Christ. As a matter of fact, this one, number two, three, and four, the rest of what we're going to talk about this morning, really just unpack, go into more detail about how it is that we keep the word. How do you keep the word? Cling to Christ. The Advent calls us to live in its light by clinging to Christ. Look at verses 8 and 9. I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things. And when I heard and saw them, I fell down at the feet of the angel who showed them to me. But he said to me, you must not do that. I am a fellow servant with you and your brothers, the prophets, and with those who keep the words of this book. Worship God. It's just a little bit ironic that right after John has been told to keep the words of this book, a book that calls us away from idolatry constantly, calls us to worship God alone, calls us to cling to Christ alone. Keep that, John. And what does John do? He falls down to worship at the feet of the angel who is speaking to him. Shades, how quickly do we do the same? Like, right upon hearing this word, call us to worship God and him alone, cling to Christ and him alone. How quickly do we walk out the doors and fall at the feet of something else? How easily, how quickly are we confused? At the beginning of the Revelation, as we read through seven personalized messages to the seven churches in Asia Minor, did we not see confusion about who and what and how to worship running rampant in those churches? We saw them clinging to all sorts of things but Christ. We saw them clinging to dead orthodoxy, to idolatry, to immorality, to power and possessions, all sorts of false teachings and false teachers. And Revelation has aimed to cut through all of that confusion with clarity. The, the chief image, do you remember this? The chief image at the center of the visions of Revelation is that of a scroll, which Christ unsealed and unrolled to give us clarity. Clarity about how we are to live in this church age, to give us clarity on how God is sovereignly working, he, how he's sovereignly working even amidst the unsealing of evil throughout history, to give us clarity on how God is trumpeting forth his purposes, waking his people and warning the world, to give us clarity about the mission, our mission of declaring the gospel to the word, world and demonstrating the worth of Christ through our words and through our wounds, to give us clarity about how the enemy opposes that mission through his beast and false prophets peddling their false gospels 
Shades, revelation has cut through the confusion of false teachings and false teachers like the seven churches in Asia Minor faced, like we faced. It has, it's cut through all of that to give us the clarity we need in order to spot the false prophets in our world. The, the ones that try to disciple our hearts through the 24-hour news cycle or our social media feeds or political propaganda. Revelation has given us the clarity we need to clearly see the beasts of our world. The the powers of this world that promise us security and satisfaction if if we let them give it to us. Revelation has given us clarity to see through the false gospels of every false prophet and beast so that we may not be confused but cling to Christ who alone can sovereignly give security and satisfaction, salvation. Cling to Christ. Worship Christ. When it all comes down to it in the end, Revelation sums it up rather simply, does it not? We overcomplicate the life that we're supposed to live in following Christ all the time. Revelation makes it rather simple. Worship Christ. Cling to Christ. And right here, Revelation doesn't just go after the confusion caused by false messages and false messengers. It also rebukes all confusion concerning true, the true message and true messengers. Is that not what's going on with John right here in Revelation 22? He's not facing a false teacher or a false message, and yet he's still getting rebuked. Because Revelation's going to cut through his confusion with, with clarity. You've heard the saying before, don't shoot the messenger. Revelation would change that to don't worship the messenger. That's what happens with John right here. The message he hears is so glorious that he mistakenly worships the messenger. Do, do you remember? This is actually the second time we've seen him do this. He did this earlier in Revelation 19. And what's really interesting to me is that John didn't have to tell us that he did this either time. think he tells us about both of his blunders to warn us john knows that the kind of confusion that's happening to him can happen to any of us it happens all the time shades all the time christians attach their faith to a pastor a preacher to an author a leader a speaker, who may even be a true messenger proclaiming the true message of the gospel. Shades don't worship the messenger. Revelation rebukes that kind of confusion. We are watching the faith of many of our brothers and sisters collapse because it's connected to leaders who are collapsing. Revelation cuts through that kind of confusion with simple clarity. Worship God, cling to Christ. That's the heart of Revelation. That's how you keep the word. Cling to Christ. Because he's the only Christ. Like no, No matter what any false prophet promises or what any beast claims the power to give, see, shade, see with clarity that none of them are saviors, none of them can save, none of them are coming to your rescue. Only Christ is coming to bring his gospel to consummation. He's coming. 
He alone is Christ. He alone is Savior. He alone has the power to save, and He is alone is the one who will come to save. He's coming, so cling to Him. Worship Him. The Advent calls us to live in its light by clinging to Christ. Number three, the Advent calls us to live in its light. How? By persevering in faithfulness. By persevering in faithfulness. Look at verse 10. And he said to me, Do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book, for the time is near. It's another echo from, from Daniel 12. It's from Daniel chapter 12 and verse 4. Except it's an echo. But again, it's changed, it's tweaked. The instructions that are given to John right here are the opposite of the instructions that were given to Daniel back in Daniel 12 and verse 4. Daniel, at the end of his book, was told to seal up his book until the time of the end. But for John, that time is near, we are told, or a better translation is probably at hand. In other words, the end, the last days, here they began with the resurrection of jesus and continue until his return so john don't seal up these words because they are relevant they are relevant to your day john they bring the clarity you need to cling to christ the clarity you need we need shades to persevere in faithfulness is that not what we see in the next verse verse 11 but the evildoers still do evil and the filthy still be filthy, and the righteous still do right, and the holy still be holy. I know that that verse sounds a little bit confusing until you realize it's another echo from Daniel chapter 12, verse 10, if you want to go back and look at it specifically. But if you go back to Daniel 12, there, that verse is a prophecy. It's a prophecy concerning the last days. When this book should be opened and remain unsealed. The prophecy in Daniel says that this is what the response to the unsealing of God's word will look like in the last days. Many shall purify themselves and make themselves white and be refined, but the wicked shall act wickedly. Revelation now says that day's arrived, so let the response happen. Let the call to cling to Christ has been made clear. Let people respond, and their response will reveal the one to whom they really cling. Shades, this book has given us all the clarity we need to cling to Christ. His Advent calls us not just to cling to Him, but to persevere in that in faithfulness. Verse 12, Behold, I am coming soon, bringing my recompense with me to repay each one for what he has done. So persevere in faithfulness. Is that not the call? Verse 13, On the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end, blessed are those who wash their robes, that they may have the right to the tree of life, and that they may enter the city by the gates. In other words, blessed are those who persevere in faithfulness. They will make it to the city. They'll make it to the end. Verse 15, Outside, that's outside the city, outside of new creation, are the dogs and sorcerers and the sexually immoral and murderers and idolaters and everyone who loves and practices Falsehood. In other words, outside are those who did not persevere in faithfulness. That's the emphasis right here in verse 15. This is not a verse primarily focused on people who are pagans. 
It's primarily focused on people who profess to believe in Christ but did not persevere in faithfulness. That's the emphasis we've seen in warnings from the last two weeks in Revelation 21, verse 8 and verse 27. Both of those warnings also contained a list of people who were outside of new creation. All three of those lists, chapter 21, verse 8, verse 27, right here, chapter 22, verse 15, all three of these lists end with a similar term to summarize the people it's talking about. Pseudos. False. What is being emphasized right here are pseudo-Christians. False Christians. There's a warning to us. There were lots of false Christians. In those seven churches in Asia Minor, there still are lots of false Christians either purposely deceiving or self-deceived, but either way, it doesn't matter. They're pseudo. Claim Jesus with their lips, but their hearts are far from Him. They claim to belong to Christ, but they prove otherwise with, with their lives. They do not persevere in faithfulness. Shades, these words were not irrelevant to the seven churches in Asia Minor who were indulging in the idolatry and immorality of their culture. They were very relevant for them. Their culture that Revelation called Babylon the great prostitute. Many of those believers in those seven churches, those believers, many of those believers were climbing into bed with Babylon the great prostitute, with their culture. They needed the words of this book unsealed, open, to to reveal and challenge their idolatry and immorality, to call them back to perseverance in faithfulness. And shades, this book is still unsealed because these words of challenge are still relevant to us because we still live amidst a Babylon, the great prostitute. Are we getting into bed with her? With the idolatry and the immorality of our culture shades do do we ask these questions to yourself ask them to myself do do we do i profess with my lips to be a part of the bride of christ while getting into bed with babylon shades we need this this unsealed book don't seal it up john we we need this unsealed book constantly set before us to reveal and challenge every speck of idolatry and immorality that tempts us away from persevering in faithfulness. And we need it to challenge us. And we need this unsealed book constantly set before us to comfort us. Like Jonathan, I see the challenge. Where's the comfort? We need this unsealed book constantly set before us to comfort us by reminding us that all the power we need to persevere has been provided. Shades. This word. Yes, the book of Revelation, but the the whole word. All of these words at the end of Revelation, yes, they, they primarily apply straight to the book that they are a part of, but I think they fall at the end of the whole book for a reason. They apply to the whole thing. Shades, this word, the whole thing, is relevant to every area of your life. 
Because through it, the Alpha, the Omega, the first, the last, the beginning and the end, challenges you to persevere and comforts you by providing the power to persevere. See that with me. It is the Alpha and the Omega of verse 13 who not only issues the challenge of verse 12, but he also issues the promise of verse 14, the promise to provide power. See this. See verse 14. See the promise to provide power. Blessed are those who wash their robes. Shades, that's meant to take your mind straight back to Revelation chapter 7. It's language pulled right out of there. You go back to Revelation chapter 7 and you will see the saints wash their robes. And what do they wash them in? They wash them in the blood of the Lamb. The Lamb, Jesus Christ, shed His blood on a cross to purchase His people, to pay the price for their sin, wash them away, all of their sin, like like washing away filth from a garment. And in Revelation 7, the saints whose robes were washed, they're the same saints who were sealed. you remember that? God sealed them with His Holy Spirit to empower them, to persevere to the end. Shades. Christ, the Lamb, paid the full price to purchase His people. He didn't pay the price just to purchase their pardon, the washing of their robes. He also paid the price to purchase the seal of the Holy Spirit and empower their perseverance. That's precisely what Revelation 22, 14 says. In summary, read the whole thing. Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have a right to the tree of life, that they may enter the city by the gates. Washing your robes in the blood of Christ pardons your sin. It gets you the right to the tree of life. And it empowers your perseverance. Do you see that? So that you make it all the way to entering the gate of the city, the new Jerusalem, the new creation. Shades, the Alpha and Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. All of those titles point to His sovereignty. Sovereignty is the one who created all things, sustains all things, and will bring them to consummation. Shades, all of those sovereign titles appear in verse 13. Right smack dab between verses 12 and 14. So that you will know the sovereign God is not the only one, is not only the sovereign God who issues the challenge of verse 12 for you to persevere, but he is also the sovereign God who promises you the power to persevere in verse 14. Shades, don't seal up this book. Don't think it irrelevant to your life. The time is at hand. We live in the last days. That's not me fear-mongering. We've always lived in the last days. It's the age of the church. And we are always called to live in light of the coming of Christ, to live in light of the advent. And God provides the power for that through this Word. This Word challenges us. And it comforts us as it gives us clarity fills us with courage so that we keep it. We cling to Christ. Persevere in faithfulness. The Advent calls us to live in its light by persevering in faithfulness. Number four, fourth and final. The Advent calls us to live in its light. How? 
by embracing the invitation. The Advent calls us to live in its light by embracing. For you note takers, I'll let you cheat. It's going to say, and extending the invitation. Verse 16. I, Jesus, I just, this is not in my notes. It has nothing to do with anything else. I just want to say, I just love the fact that the Bible concludes with our Savior looking at us and personally saying, I, Jesus, let me address you. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches, for you. I am the root and the shoot, the descendant of David, the bright morning star. The spirit and the bride say, come. And let the one who hears say, come. And let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires take the water of life without price. This is how Revelation ends. This is how the Bible concludes with the extension of an invitation. An invitation from the lips of Jesus himself. Come. Are you thirsty? Come. Have you drunk deeply of every word this world has to offer you? Have you tried to keep the word of every false prophet and all of their promises? Have you tried to cling to every beast who through their supposed power offer you salvation, security, and satisfaction? Have you, persever- have you spent your life persevering in all that Babylon has promised to slake the thirst of your soul with and still found it all wanting? Are you still thirsty? Come. Let the one who desires take the water of life. Shades, the water of life is Christ. He's the drink that can satisfy your soul. I know that because of what he said in verse 16. He says, I am the root and the descendant of David. In other words, I am the maker of all the promises that God has ever made. I'm the maker of the promises to David. I'm the root and I'm also the shoot. I'm his descendant. I'm the one who would come and fulfill all those promises. I made all the promises of God. I have kept all the promises of God. I am the savior that he promised. And by coming, I am giving myself to you for the thirst of your soul i am the water of life drink he gives himself to you without price i know that because of the rest of verse 16 where christ says he is the bright and morning star that's only been mentioned one other time in revelation all the way back in chapter 2 and verse 28 where we were promised the bright and morning star would be given to all who conquer to all who come and cling to christ they get the bright morning star. they get christ Come, let the one who desires take Christ, the water of life. He's yours without price because he paid the price. And he's coming. So he invites you to come. The Advent calls us to live in its light by embracing the invitation. And 
once you've embraced it, you're called to extend it. Verse 17, look back at it. The Spirit and the Bride. It's the church. Say, come. The Bride, the church, those who've embraced the invitation. They're empowered to extend it. They don't extend it. You're not called to extend this by yourself. What did verse 17 say? It said, the Spirit and the Bride say, come. Together. Not two separate invitations. The Spirit is empowering the Bride to extend this invitation to the world. That's been the message of Revelation since the very beginning, all throughout, and right here at the end. Revelation began with an image that communicated the church's purpose. Do you remember the first image it gave us for the church? Were lampstands aflame with the Holy Spirit of God to shine, in other words, empowered by the Holy Spirit to shine forth the light of the gospel into the darkness of this world. That's how the book began. In the very heart of this book, we read the unrolled scroll of chapter 11 in which the church was again pictured as lampstand witnesses empowered by the Spirit to bear witness to the worth of Christ both through our words and through our wounds. And right here at the close of Revelation, this is still our mission and it still comes with this promise promise the spirit empowers us to extend this invitation to the world come to christ come and drink of the water of life without price shades the spirit empowers you to keep this word to cling to christ to persevere in faithfulness and extend this invitation he empowers you to come And I'm not just talking about the church generically. I'm talking about you specifically. I've got warrant in the text for that. Look at verse 17 one more time. The Spirit and the bride say, Come, general, whole church, and let the one personal, individual, let the one who hears, you hear, you desire, you want Christ, then this is about you. Let the one who hears say, come. You, individually, personally, are empowered by the Holy Spirit to live in light of the advent of Christ. You, personally, individually are empowered to live the life that revelation has revealed to live keeping the word to live clinging to christ to live persevering in faithfulness and to live extending this invitation right where god has placed you called you and sent you shades we're getting close to the end can i uh can i just give you a personal confession This truth right here, that I am individually, personally empowered by the Holy Spirit, sent right where I am to extend this invitation, to live out the life that God has called me to live right here in this moment, right now. He providentially has me here in this place at this time. Can can I just confess to you that that has been a very hard truth for me to believe in 2020? 
that the Holy Spirit is empowering me right where I am. It's been a hard truth to believe because I don't want to be right where I am. I want to be in a pandemic that often days makes me struggle with hope. I don't want to be in a world where online and in the streets it seems like it's just all filled with hate. It feels, makes me doubt like there's love anywhere. I don't I don't want to be in a place where I feel constantly isolated and struggle with depression and anxiety and have to fight for for joy. I don't want to be in a place that's so polarized over politics. I feel like I can't find any peace anywhere. I feel exhausted, not empowered. And most days I feel sad, not sent. Yesterday, I was convicted about this when I heard the words of a letter written by Jim Elliott to his parents. You know who Jim Elliott was? He's a missionary who was martyred when he was 28 years old in Ecuador many, many years ago, some 60, 70 years plus years ago. Jim Elliott wrote this letter to his parents when he told them that he was going to Ecuador, and they didn't want him to go. They were sad. They didn't feel like this was where God was sending their son whom they loved, their son who was their joy. This wasn't what they hoped for him. But Jim was empowered, and he wrote this. I do not wonder that you were saddened at the word of my going to South America. This is nothing else than what the Lord Jesus warned us of when he told his disciples that they must become so infatuated with the kingdom and following him that all other allegiances must become as though they were not. And he never excluded the family tie. In fact, those loves which we regard as closest, Jesus told us must become as hate in comparison with our desires to uphold his cause. Grieve not, then, if your sons seem to desert you, but rejoice, rather, seeing the will of God done gladly. Remember how the psalmist described children? He said that they were as a heritage from the Lord, and that every man should be happy who had his quiver full of them. And what is a quiver full of but arrows? And what are arrows for? but to shoot so with the strong arms of prayer draw the bowstring back and let the arrows fly all of them straight at the enemy's hosts shades i refuse to succumb any longer to the sadness that used to make me identify with jim's Parents, I refuse to bemoan the situation into which 2020 has placed every single one of us. Yes, there are things that are genuinely sad about it, but I choose to believe that the sovereign God has sent us here. And we are a faith family, and our quiver is full of arrows. And so I am committed to draw the bowstring back with the strong arm of prayer and let every last one of our arrows fly at the enemy's host, carrying hope to a world that feels hopeless amidst a pandemic, carrying love to a world that feels fractured by hate, carrying joy to a world instead of anxiousness and isolation, carrying peace to a world that knows only polarization. I am praying that God will empower 
empower you, each and every one of you, to fly straight as an arrow. I'm praying he will empower you and me, each of us, to live in light of the advent of Christ. To live the life Revelation has revealed. To live keeping this word, clinging to Christ, persevering in faithfulness, and yes, extending the invitation. Don't take away from this word, Shades. Don't hear what I'm saying, what the word is saying, and and think this is true for everybody else but you. Don't take away from this word. It says it's true from you. Don't add to this word, Shades. Don't say, this is true, but it's okay for me to continue in my life to flirt with idolatry and immorality. Don't take from this word. Don't add to this word. This is the warning if you look at it in verses 18 and 19. As Revelation concludes with a call to live in light of the coming advent of Christ, it warns us not to alter this call in any way. We don't alter it when we're called to embrace it, like many of the Christians in Asia Minor were doing, trying to have Jesus but a little idolatry and immorality too. We don't alter this call when we're called to embrace it, and we don't alter this word when we are called to extend it, as many of the false teachers in Asia Minor were doing, to avoid persecution and indulge in their culture's pleasures. Shades, we embrace and extend this unaltered, unadulterated word of God. We take nothing from it. We add nothing to it. We keep it. Clinging to Christ. Persevering in faithfulness. Embracing and extending the invitation of hope, love, joy, peace. The invitation of Christ to the world. Shades. in the midst of our peaceless world. Let's extend this invitation of peace. Hate may be strong. It may feel like it mocks the song of peace on earth, goodwill to men. But we hear the bells of God's word peal more loud and deep. For we live in the light of Advent. God is not dead, nor does he sleep. The wrong shall fail. The right prevail with peace on earth. Goodwill to men. Shades, Christ promised his Advent is coming. And we pray for it. Verse 20. He who testifies to these things says, Surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. Christ promised it. We pray for it. Shades, live in light of it. Verse 21. The grace, the empowering grace of the Lord Jesus be with all. Live in light of the advent. And to that, all God's people said, Amen.